the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Good morning, black men. Hey, I vote that one of these days we have a service that is just this guy playing the guitar. That is so good. <laughs> that is so good. Uh, um, man, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach again. Um, I think that means that I didn't preach too much heresy last time. And so, um, but they did give me the week after Easter, which is traditionally one of the seven lowest attended Sundays of the year. Um, and it's funny, it follows Easter, which is the highest attended Sunday of the year. But you know what? Can't ask for too much here, I guess. So, um, so here's what happened last week. Last Sunday, roughly $18 billion were spent on Easter-related purchases. Uh, that includes clothes, food, candy, um, peeps, and... Uh, Chocolate was the number one item um, placed in an Easter basket, and uh, $91 million were spent on chocolate bunnies. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. There were 91 million chocolate bunnies sold uh, on average. Yeah, 91 million. Um, 59% of Americans eat the ears of the chocolate bunny first. Um, the other 41% are uh, not in church today and they need to repent, so. <laughs> uh, 1.5 billion peeps were consumed on Easter. 1.5 billion peeps were consumed. Those are also the ones who don't eat the chocolate bunny by, by the ears first and also need to repent because that's disgusting. <laughs> so. Um, also, more Americans attended church last Sunday than any other day of the year. So, um, there's almost this uh, lull after Easter. It's kind of like with Christmas. There's this lull after you've been building up, building up, building up. Um, and then you have the big Sunday, and it's great. And then afterwards, it's just kind of like back to normal. The festivities are over. It's just kind of like back to uh, everyday life. Uh, and it's an unfortunate phenomenon that happens uh, because life after Easter is far from normal. Am I right? In fact, life after Easter is far, far better than life before Easter. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so in fact, uh, Jess and I and um, her parents and Sam went to an Easter Monday concert. Um, with Andrew Peterson at a church in Franklin. And uh, Andrew Peterson, who is so poetic, said at the very beginning that uh, the party wasn't over on Sunday. The party just began on Sunday. And, and, and what he's describing is there's this party, there's this, there is this life after Easter. And I'm not just talking about the holiday that comes once a year. I'm talking about the actual resurrection event, the very first Easter Sunday. Um, so we're in Isaiah 43 today, and that is page 124 of your book. Um, if you have one, if you don't have a book, I'm sure someone will be happy to get one with you or share theirs with you. But we're going to be talking this morning about um, something better 
on this side of Easter. And uh, Isaiah 43, there's some prophecies that Isaiah is about to drop um, that are very significant for the Israelites in their time, but also very significant for us today. Um, And and now this book was obviously written, Isaiah, was obviously um, not written to us or with us in mind by Isaiah. It was written to Israel. In fact, Isaiah 1.1 says it's prophecies concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Um, In fact, most of the whole Bible was not written to us. A lot of it is very well documented saying this is written to so-and-so. This is written to uh, Theophilus. This is written to the church in Rome. This is written to the church in Ephesus. It's very specific of who it was written to, but that doesn't mean it's not also meant for us. And so when there are prophecies given to Israel, we've got to be careful because there are some prophecies and promises given to Israel that we are not allowed to claim, that we can't claim. Uh, but there are some that we can. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at it. There's, there's, there's one of each here in this passage that we're about to read. There's, there's prophecy and promise for us to claim, and there's prophecy and promise that, that we can't claim as, as the new covenant church. These were things for the Old Covenant Israel, right? And the message, I'll just give you right up front, the message that we uh, can receive this morning is, is really just simply this. And it's the, a message kind of all throughout the Bible is that in your relationship with God, your job is simply to be a spectacle of his glory. Your job is simply to be a spectacle of his glory. Glory, and this was true for the Israelites before Easter. They had the same job, but this is also true for us today. And when I'm talking about a spectacle, I'm talking about um, uh, that we are a display of His glory, but we are also witnesses of His glory, that we communicate this glory. So when I'm talking about a spectacle, I'm talking about we are, we are a vision of God's glory to the world. So let's, look, let's go ahead and jump into this, Isaiah chapter 43, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and this is Isaiah's word before Easter to the Israelites living in the Old Covenant. This is the word of the Lord. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you." Peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So I want you to notice real right up front. That God acted first. In what we're reading, and in this story in Isaiah 53, and really in the entire story of, of the gospel, and the story of the Bible, and in our stories, 
God acted first. He was the initiator. He was the first cause. And everything from him is, is simply effect. Right? So he promises to do in, through, and for Israel many different things, but simply in order to display his own glory. All of these statements that he was said that God was saying, if you notice, they are very theocentric or God-centered. They were God saying, I'm going to do this, and it's for this, it's for my glory. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you through here, I'm going to let you guide you through this, and it's going to be for my glory. So God is acting here first, but it was always for his glory. It was a very theocentric statement that we just read in these seven verses. Now imagine Israel's perspective as they receive these words. Okay, I think it's important that we also read this the way that the Israelites would have received it. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for this study through Isaiah because I feel like the elders and, and, and the other speakers have done such a great job of, of showing us historically where Israel was, what they were doing when they received these words. And if you imagine Israel, how they would have received some of the things we just read, where God was saying, I'm going to bring you through the, the water, and I'm going to bring you through the fire, and you're not going to be burned, you won't be overwhelmed by these things. I'm going to bring you through it for my glory. Now, I would imagine that for Israel, what they're thinking is, maybe they go back to uh, Genesis, when God brought Noah and his family through the floods. Right? He brought them, they experienced the rain, they experienced the flood, they were, they were in it, but they were brought through it. Right? Or perhaps they thought a little bit forward into Exodus, and they thought about how God brought them through the Red Sea. Right? They still had to pass the sea, they had to pass through, and it was God bringing them through the Red Sea. And so in their minds, they're thinking, okay, God's done some of these things already. And even just in a few years, once, once they entered the Babylonian captivity, you have the story of a couple guys, three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who passed through fire, right? And, and I would imagine when the story of those three guys uh, was heard or told, that the Israelites would have been thinking about this prophecy that God had just given them. That when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, you will not be overwhelmed, but instead I will be with you in the middle of the flood and the flame. Now water is also, and fire, is also symbolic of God's judgment. That was, that was what he used in judgment in Noah's day. He flooded the world, right? That was his judgment. In fire, there's prophecies of God coming again with fire in judgment, right? And so we also see that there is prophecy of water and fire of judgment from God, but what we hear, what we read in this is that God is going to bring them through that, that they will be saved from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God, that that judgment, that water and that fire will be placed on something or someone else. And they would not be consumed by his wrath. They would be delivered. They would not be overwhelmed by his judgment, but instead they would be passed, they would pass through in his presence. Now the next few verses explain why God did these things. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. 
Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Also, henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who and turn it back. Man, I love it whenever like God just like speaks because it's always a mic drop moment. Every time he speaks in scripture and he's just kind of laying out like, hey God, can you explain who I am? Can he ever? And he's just like, oh, here's who I am. Bam, 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 bam. And then he just kind of leaves you like, okay, I'm going to let you sit in that for a little bit now. How don't you just stew in that and just process that for a while? Because he's always just so sure to remind the Israelites exactly who he is. And exactly what he's capable of. What he's done before and what he will do again. And whenever God speaks, it's always one of those moments when you just kind of need to read it a couple times. And just like, so good. In fact, um, I don't know if this is the same about you, but I have emotions. And, um, and oftentimes my emotions are pretty low. And, uh, and I don't like to talk about it. And, and I try to avoid it. And when I'm feeling low, I typically will try to just be like... I just need to do something to pet myself up. I just need to think my way out of this. Right? Just, I oftentimes just want to um, push away from those feelings or shove them down and bottle them up. But the reality is when I read things like this, it's just always a reminder. It, just, it was one of the prayers I had this morning is, is, God, just make me small in this moment and just make yourself big. Let us see the majesty and the grandeur of who you are. And whenever I pause and stop to just reflect on him, it's kind of like, you know what, I, I can sit in this a little bit. Because knowing who he is, I can, I can rest in the fact that this isn't resting on me. Right? I can rest in the fact that if he is, if he is who he just described himself to be, then I have the freedom <laughs> to not try to be who he is. Right? I have the freedom to just be who I am. I have the freedom to, to rest a little bit here. And it's, man, that, that just gives such freedom, such liberty to me. And it allows me to be able to just maybe sit in a little bit of this and not feel like I have to perfect myself. I don't have to feel like I have to, to, to make myself perfect in order to approach him. I just know, I just, I just can go to things like this when he's just described himself and I can just rest in who he is. Because he gives me permission to be who I am. I didn't write any of that down, so I don't know where I am right now. <laughs> so so here, here, here's where we are with, with Israel, right? Israel was chosen in this moment to do one thing. To testify of what he just said about himself. Right? In fact, when, when, what we just read was God says, I am this, I am this, I am this. And you, you're my witnesses. You get to enjoy the show. 
You get to sit back and watch me do my work. But what's a witness? Okay, A witness is not someone who's just seen or experienced something. A witness is also someone who shares what they saw. They have a responsibility to testify of the truth. That's what we have in the court. Is when you become a witness in court. When you're called in to testify. That's why you place your hand on a Bible. And you make a swear an oath. That I will tell nothing but the truth in this moment. I'm going to testify of what I've seen. And what I know. What I've witnessed and experienced. And I will say nothing but the truth in this moment. That's a witness. And that's what he's calling us to do. Not just a spectator. A witness. Not someone who just sits and observes, but someone who is actively, actively pointing other people to what they've experienced before. So God calls Israel to act. He tells them, you're not just here to watch the show. You are here to participate in this story. And what is your role? To be a spectacle of God's glory. To be able to point other people to his glory. To be able to, to be a, a, a trophy case. Right? Of what he's done. To remind you what we talked about in Sunday school. The importance of showing your kids what God has done. The importance of teaching your children. And pointing them to Christ. As a witness. We are witnesses to our children of what God has done in our lives. Now, if you think about it from Israel's perspective. Okay? What are they supposed to but, a few weeks ago, we, we, we addressed the story of Jericho, right? And so the spies go into Jericho, and they meet a, a woman named Rahab. And what does she say to them? This is so cool. I love this part of the story of Jericho. Rahab says to them, hey, so we've all heard about your God and about what he's been doing through you and, and for you and how he's been arranging these miraculous victories, and we are scared out of our minds. We are shaking in our boots, absolutely terrified, when you showed up, we, we quit. <laughs> we gave up. Right? That's what, that's what she says to them is, okay, here, I'm going to let you in on the secret. The, your enemy is actually scared out of the minds about your God right now. Why? Because word had spread. People were hearing what Yahweh, the God of Israel, had been doing. They heard about how, hang on a second, you're telling me that a group of slaves destroyed an enemy like the empire the egyptian army you're telling me that your god led you through a sea and then crushed an army with that you're telling me that he's led you to defeat these other armies like time and time again all jericho is hearing about they just get these rumors and these words that there's some country out there a new countries on 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 the scene and apparently they've got a god who knows how to win and uh, they're at your front door right now <laughs> Like Israel, Jericho was scared out of their minds. And, and that's, what, that's what was the point of their witnessing. Was they were spreading the word. And God's glory was getting out. And people were hearing about this, this powerful God named Yahweh. And those on the other side of him didn't stand a chance. Word was getting out. Israel was being a witness. They were testifying of what God had been doing. Now this is important, okay? There would be no witnesses if Christ had never displayed his glory first. Right? There would be no witnesses if God had never displayed his glory first. So, the word, there's a couple times the word was repeated in what we just read that was very important. And the word is through. God promised you will go through the water 
and not be overwhelmed. He promised you will go through the fire and not be burned. The promise wasn't, I will bring you around the flood and I will bring you above the flame. The promise is that you would go through the flood and the flame. Why? Why wouldn't God just deliver you around it? Why wouldn't he just miraculously like, pick you up and place you in a safe spot? Because the promise was that as they were going through it, he would be with them. It was the going through that gave them a story to tell. It was the going through that allowed God to display his glory so that the witnesses would have something to testify of. So we're not left to our own devices to figure this out. The truth is, if God has called you to be a witness, he's going to give you something to witness about. And it's the going through the fire and the flood that he is able to display his glory in our lives. So he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He doesn't leave us to just figure out, okay, he's like, hey, go be a witness and do a good job. Best of luck to you. He's not just leaving us to figure this out. The one who acted first and the one who called us to act next is also the one who empowers us to act. If you look at verses 14 through 17, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans. And the ships in which they rejoice. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. (laughs) That's it. That's what God does to an army. Quenched like a wick. Put the candle out. Man, this is, this is so beautiful, okay? So the Lord is very clear. He's the one who brings the victory. He's the one who doesn't call you to be a witness and doesn't give you something just to witness about. He gives you the ability to witness to Him and about Him. So He's able to display His glory by crushing the enemies. Have you considered um, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire... I don't think scripture says that they had ever physically walked with Jesus before. I'm pretty sure they didn't do it again afterwards. The only time they experienced the physical nearness of Jesus was through the flame. I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked back at the time in the furnace as probably the fondest memory they had. They look back at probably with some tears in their eyes, wishing they could be back in the furnace if it meant being with Jesus again. Have you ever considered, for for them, the most glory they had ever experienced, and maybe even Nebuchadnezzar, who saw Jesus in the flame as well, that was the moment the Israelites would tell the story of for years and years to come. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their grandkids gathered around them, what story do you think they were telling? The time they were in the fire. The time they were in the flame and not consumed. And I'm guessing they said it with tears in their eyes because what a beautiful moment. What a beautiful moment. God empowers us. He gives us a story to tell. He gives us uh, the power to witness to tell the story. 
I love it. So when the Lord calls us to be a witness, he's sure to give us something to witness about. Now for us, right? I've never walked through fire, so that's not my story to tell. But I can tell the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's the gospel that we in this new covenant get to share. It's the fact that Christ has come and he's died and he's risen and he's coming again. This is a beautiful story that we get to be witnesses of. This is the story of God's glory that we get to share and testify of. This is the very message itself that we carry, which is the power unto salvation. It's the very message that we carry is the power unto salvation. I think when you think of messengers, you know, back then, whenever they would ride on their horses to bring a message to the, to the king, right? The, the message itself was just that. It was just the message of something that had happened, right? And, and, and maybe the king would ride out to go inspect what had happened. Or maybe, um, you know, it, the message itself wasn't the point to them. The message was just the delivery system. It was just, you know, a, a modern day phone call. But for us, the message that we're sharing, the truths of the gospel, are the power into salvation. The, 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 what we are witnessing about, right? The, the, what we are testifying about, the truths that we, that we swear an oath to tell, it is the very power unto salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Isaiah, he took the time to um, remind the Israelites of what God had done. He said, hey, remember, remember when God did this? Remember when God did that? Remember when we went through this and God was with us? Isaiah was very good to remind them of what God had done. But then we read the next verse. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. <laughs> well, you're the one who started it, Isaiah. <laughs> right? He says, don't remember the things of old. Don't remember the former things. But let's read on to verse 21. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen People, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So now Isaiah is giving prophecy here. This isn't about what God has done anymore. This is about what God is going to do. He's doing a new thing. He's preparing a new thing. And he's saying, don't you see what God's getting ready to do? These streams of water, these rivers of life are going to flow into the wastelands and into the deserts and bring life. The jackals, the ostriches, the, the outcasts will drink from this and they will receive life. What is he prophesying about? What's funny is I don't think the Israelites would have known. Somehow they were supposed to take hope in this. Somehow they were supposed to receive this and, and find courage in it. And maybe for them it was going to be uh, for when they were taken by Babylon. But I don't know how, how God delivering them from Babylon would be a greater and better thing than God delivering them from Egypt. I think this is a prophecy of something better coming, even better than what he was doing for Israel. 
And so they're supposed to receive this hope. But what about us on this side of Easter in this new covenant where we live? We celebrate this new thing that's happened. We celebrate the new thing that he's brought and it fills us with hope. We live in the new covenant where justice for our sins has been served and grace has prevailed. Where justice for our sins has been served and grace has prevailed. Now, in reality, the, the covenant that the Israelites lived in was a covenant of grace. They were given grace time and time again. What we're reading here is God saying, I acted first. That's his prevenient grace. And, and then you respond and, and, and I give you the salvation grace. I give you uh, life here. But then I also give you the grace to do this work of testifying Right? The Israelites were given grace here. So the covenant that they were living in was a covenant of grace. And according to the verses we read, it's very clear that God chose Israel unconditionally. Right? He led them through the fire and the water. He called them to be witnesses. He defeated their enemies. He was the one who did this work time and time again when Israel didn't deserve it. I mean, we're kind of going through this whole cycle of Israel. Israel, Israel, sinning, sinning, sinning. God uh, giving grace, giving grace, giving grace. And it's just kind of like, man, Israel, do you not see what Isaiah is is saying here? God's doing something better. Do you not perceive what he's doing here? There's something new and something better coming. This offer of grace, these rivers of life, the water going out, extending to the wilderness. This grace is extending to the wastelands. The waters of life have flowed like rivers through the entire world. So those who were once outcasts and and jackals would now be able to drink and have life. What What was agreed upon with Israel, the covenant made with Israel, would now be made with the world. And God would be saying, I'm about to bring the rivers of life to the world. What could be better than Israel? The slaves being freed out of Egypt. What could be better than God leading them to the promised land? What could be better than God establishing them in the place he promised them? What would be better? How about salvation for the world? (laughs) Right? How about God extending his gift to all who would receive it, not just to those in national Israel? This isn't about national Israel anymore. This is about for God to love the world. That he's sent the rivers of life to all the ends so that he might gather from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. He might gather children that he would call by his name. This is a beautiful thing, something better, this new covenant that allows us. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. So I'm what the Bible would call a Gentile. I think most all of us in here are. We are given the ability to be adopted as sons and daughters. We are grafted into the family tree. This is something much, much better. So it is right and it's good for us to claim some of these promises that God had made with Israel, that he would be with us through the fire, that he would be with us through the flood. Should we have the same faith as Abraham? So we too may now get... To be witnesses, not just of God freeing slaves from an oppressive nature, but of God bringing people dead in sins to life. 
We're testifying of something greater and better here. We're witnesses of a greater miracle of a better work. Grace to the world. But there's a word of warning. And, it, and it's, uh, it's so un-American to end <laughs> this way. Um, because we always want to end on like, the Avengers win. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie. What? Um, so, so anyways, we always want to end with like the, the good news, but, but God ends with this warning, right? He, he ends with kind of like this, oh man, I just blew it. You guys thought the Avengers won. So it, Israel fails over and over and over again, and so God gives them this warning. Look at verses uh, 22 through 28. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You've not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You've not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction in Israel to reviling. There's a word of warning. Israel failed over and over and over again to be the witnesses God called them to be. Instead of giving him the glory and pointing to his glory, they sought to steal the glory for themselves. They attempted to, to turn to other idols. In fact, really what they were doing is turning to themselves. Their pride thinking, we've, we've arrived. We're here. Now it's time for us to figure out how to make this all work. Right? The Israelites over and over and over again were seeking to steal the glory and what they were doing was they were simply wearying God with their sin and with their iniquities. And as a result, God gave them over to their enemies to be ushered into destruction. This is prophecy, perhaps, of Babylon's, uh, Babylon conquering them. Um, that wouldn't be the only time Israel would go through some rough times. And so what God is saying is there's going to be a pattern here. You rebel, you, you deal with the consequences. And what God is saying here is very strong, very stern. I'm going to utter, uh, deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Now again, not everything promised to and prophesied of Israel may be claimed by the church. Because there is some good news for us here. We need to be careful with what conclusions we draw from this. But verse 27 gives a pretty good clue of how to interpret this. Your first father sinned. And your mediators transgressed against me. Your first father sinned. We could say that was Adam. Adam failed. He sinned. But for Israel, they could be considering Abraham. Your father Abraham failed. He sinned. And then all the mediators you had from then till now, all the prophets, all the priests, and all the judges were going to fail you and they were going to sin against God. One after another, one by one, each mediator who was brought there to, to, to mediate between Israel and God failed one by one. Their kings, their priests, every single person who stood for them. 
That was Old Covenant. New Covenant, we don't have priests and prophets standing for us. We don't have kings or even pastors who stand between us and God. We're not relying on any man or woman here on earth to mediate between us and God. Why? Because we have a new father. One who has not sinned. One who has not failed. We have a new mediator. One who would not fail us and one who would not sin against God. He is the great high priest who was tempted and always like we are, yet without sin. So that he could stand and fully have empathy with us of what we go through. And yet, he can stand before God and plead our case. He's a mediator who would never fail us. He's a mediator who could never fail God. Jesus Christ, the one who drank the cup of God's wrath to the last drop so that we wouldn't have to. We don't face what Israel faces here because Jesus Christ has already come. He has died and he's risen so that he could usher in this new covenant. This is life after Easter for us. This is what we get to experience. This is what we get to enjoy. And this is what we get to witness. This is what we get to testify of. God has called us to be a spectacle of His glory. He's called us to display His glory to the world. To show them what He's capable of. To show them what He can do. To show them what He's done before. To show the world who He is. We get to be a trophy case of His glory. We get to be a display of his grace and we get to bring this to the world around us. Let us carry those rivers of life. Let us us carry this water of life into the wastelands so that all who would trust in him may drink and have life.